what a wonderful start to this morning and, and thank you worship team for drawing our attention uh, to the name of Christ. It's the name of Christ when we call out to him in his name our lives are transformed forever. You, you can go and do all the religious stuff you want. Going to some church, putting money in the offering plate, going through all kinds of religious, you know, practices. But unless you call on the name of Jesus, call on the name of Jesus. Say, I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus. What you've done for me, thank you. And then your life is transformed. Yeah, you're not perfect right away. In God's sight, you are because you're covered in the blood of Christ. But a new life has begun. And transformation starts to happen. And that's what we look for. A transformed life. So this morning we continue in the gospel of Mark. What a, a wonderful uh, gospel. It is a, a, a gospel that... It seems to go at breakneck speed because if you read the other Gospels, you, you find out a lot more details in many of them because that's what their purpose for. Here, the Gospel of Mark is to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's on mission as a servant Messiah, a suffering servant. And that's what we get to discover as we go through this wonderful Gospel. And, uh, probably the most important truth that we discover is the identity of Jesus, that he is the true Messiah. And we see right at Mark 1.1, it, uh, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you see Jesus there uh, and Christ, and we, we know, don't we, that Christ is not his last name, Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. Jesus uh, got the name Jesus, because uh, Mary was told to call him Jesus, and Christ uh, was also uh, the name that the angel Gabriel uh, gave to this one that was coming, the Messiah. And we also know that Christ simply means chosen one, Christos in Greek. I know I have my Greek friends. Where are you? You're around here somewhere. And, uh, but in Hebrew, Mashiach is Messiah, which means anointed one. So when you see in the Old Testament talking about the Messiah is to come, it is Jesus, the anointed one. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament uh, directions that says God has a plan and it's in, found in the Messiah. And then in the end, near the end of this chapter, we're not going to get there this week. Today, by the way, we're... I wanted to do 26 verses today, and you probably look at me, you haven't done 26 verses at any time in the last year in the book of Mark, but I wanted to do 26 verses because that's a whole thought, a whole thematic section, but we're only going to look at 10 or 13 today, so just relax, we're not here for two hours, we're okay. But I am excited about three weeks from now when we're going to look at a verse in it, 29 to be exact, where it t tells us uh, that Peter gives that, that grand statement, who do people, who do you think I am, Peter? And he says, you are the Messiah, the anointed one. You are the son of God. 
And so we'll get there over the next three weeks. Now, anybody been to the eye doctor recently? Do you go regularly? You go like once every two years, maybe you're on a plan. I remember when I was a kid, a couple of my friends got glasses and I knew I, I, I had a little problem, but I went into the doctor and I fudged on what he was asking me and I, was, I tried to be worse than I was. I don't know if you've ever done that when you're, when you're a kid. I wanted glasses so bad because I thought it was going to be cool to be with my friends and glasses. Only if I knew, right? All my life, I've been wearing glasses, wishing I didn't have to wear glasses. And you see me up here times going, yeah, he's, he can't see it. He can't see it. Uh, I, I, as I said, I got a new Bible. Thank you, John, for showing me this Bible. It's a new ESV Bible, but it is super grand old man Bible. That's what I think I'm calling it from now, and it's big, because my eyesight is just not great. We're told to take care of our eyesight, and the older we get, some things happen, cataracts happen. We have to get those cataracts taken off, but eyesight in everyday life is pretty important. As we look at these verses today, we think what we're going to discover, discover is the topic of spiritual vision. And I'm going to ask you right now, as I had to ask myself, is my spiritual vision healthy? How is your spiritual vision? And spiritual vision and, and faith are tied inextricably together. So how's your faith? How's your life of faith? And so as we read through this and study through this little section today, the master teacher, Jesus, is going to help us understand we need healthy spiritual vision. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this little section amongst the, the grander section in this chapter 8. Help us today to contemplate our own spiritual vision. And uh, I pray that as we leave today, we will have just come to realize whether we need uh, a little bit of help, we, we need uh, to get clear vision, or that we, we do have spiritually healthy vision. And I pray that's the case for all of us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, is the focus of your spiritual vision healthy? First thing that we need to think about today. Does Jesus, who is the bread of life, and as we listen to this passage this morning, he's feeding 4,000 people with uh, a few pieces of bread and a few fish again. But it, does Jesus, who is the bread of life, continue to provide sufficiently for all your needs? And this is where spiritual vision comes in. Can you see in your life where Jesus has provided for you? said in those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat he called his disciples to him and said to them and we'll get into that in a second as I've said before in the gospel accounts not everything Jesus did or said is recorded Mark's accounts are probably uh, of all the gospel the account with the least details uh, we don't get what he's been teaching here. We know that he's teaching again to a great crowd. We know that the crowd has been there three days. 
If you go to Matthew 15, verses 29 to 31, you read this. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the sea, and this is right after he has healed uh, the deaf man, deaf mute man. He went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and sat down there. And, a, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified God of Israel. So Matthew gives us a little bit more details that Jesus is healing all sorts of ailments, serious ailments, including blindness. Have you ever looked at this um, Mark passage where we are today and wondered, is somehow this is a repeat of what happened back in Mark 6 where Jesus um, healed or fed the 5,000? Is there a typo here and it should be reading 5,000 as opposed to uh, 4,000? Well, there's no details that uh, Jesus indicates here other than that this is a different, a different passage. As a matter of fact, maybe we should just turn there just to, to be sure that this is a different passage. Matthew 16, uh, it says in verse 9 and 10, uh, do you not perceive, do you not remember? It says, don't you remember the 5,000 or the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000? So a little, uh, you know, a little later on here, he reminds them of two incidences of him feeding thousands of people. And so we know once again, Jesus has done a miraculous thing by feeding so many, so many people. As I thought about the, well, he said, what's the point? What's the point here? When my spiritual vision is healthy, I will remember that the Lord has provided and will continue to provide. You know, it's so important that we remember what God has done for us. Let us never forget what Jesus has done for us. And so why do we meet here regularly? Because he's called upon us to never forsake the assembling of one another together. Don't do that. Be together. There's grand purpose around that. But secondly, he also says, come together to remember my death. He says, don't forget what I've done for you. My sacrifice. We, we just can't forget either the little things that Jesus has done in our day-to-day and the grand things that he has done for our eternity. We're talking about the health of our spiritual vision. And when our spiritual vision is healthy, we will focus on the fact that he's done great things for us. But also, Jesus never lacks compassion for those in need. Look at Mark chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. We see there, he says, I have compassion on the crowd. <clears throat> because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come far away. If I am gone one day without food, I'm fainting. I'm on the ground. That's just Alan Butchin for you. I am a, I'm a furnace. You've got to keep feeding me. 
And these dear people have been there three days without food. Or at least their food that they did have has dwindled to nothing. And Jesus says, I've got compassion on them. And he uses a Greek word there that means to be moved from the inward parts, actually the bowels. Because they thought the seat of the emotion is right here in the bowels. And he says, I, I have such emotion for them. I, I have a feeling that comes out of the depth of who I am. They have been with me. And I love this. You know, as you, as you understand the original language, you get the colored sense of it, this, this technicolor of what it's trying to say, this, this phrase, with me. It means that the crowd hasn't been there coincidentally, but they've been intentionally with him. They were there because they wanted to be, they had to be there. It was a strong desire to be in the presence of Jesus, to hear what Jesus had to say. How are we living with Jesus? Are we living coincidentally with him? Or each day is it an intentional walk with Jesus? How are you living with Jesus? Do you get up in the morning and you forget who you are in Christ and you just go on with your day? Or do you get up in the morning and you go, Jesus, I'm with you, be with me, and off we go together. That's an intentionality about our lives in Christ. And so we see this wonderful, uh, positive description of this very large crowd. And this crowd, don't forget, this crowd is predominantly Gentiles. He's come from way up and come around to the Decapolis, which is uh, predominantly Gentile. And these people, these Gentiles, they're hearing and they're sensing that God is doing something amazing and that Jesus is God's Messiah. And he shows this great concern uh, as many of them are going to leave now. He's letting them go. He's done with his teaching and he's worried that they're going to faint on the way. That word, that phrase faint on the way uh, it, uh, can be illustrated by, did you ever go to camp as a kid? I loved camp because you got to do lots of fun things that you didn't get to do at home. I remember doing the bow and arrows. You ever do that? Yeah, I was terrible. Terrible. Must have been something about the eyesight. I don't know. And so you'd get these bows, but they didn't have a string on them. And they taught you how to string the bow. And so you'd put the loop on the one end, and you'd push down. And for little kids, that's hard, and you get a little help, and then you get that other string right on top. Boom. It snaps into place. Now you have something that you can shoot an arrow. However, if that string comes off one of the loop, what, does, what happens? It folds up into nothing. It has no strength, no power. And that's what this word faint on the way is describing. That, uh, these people would become like an unstrung bow. They would uh, drop on the way home, uh, limp and unable to get themselves home. And Jesus says, I don't want anybody to faint on the way. That's why I think that if we don't get in the word, if we don't eat from the word of God on a regular basis, we, we become like that bowstring. 
and it's on the ground. And we are faint and we are without strength. And I I just love that Jesus had compassion on them that they wouldn't have that happen in their, their practical life. He doesn't want that to happen in our spiritual lives. And the point is, when my spiritual vision is healthy, I will remember that the Lord has shown great compassion toward me in the days gone by. And as last week, remember, I I mentioned that my son and his wife were in a terrible car accident where somebody T-boned them. I want to let you know that the Lord has had compassion on them. Oh, they're all bruised up. Yeah, they've got black and blue, and, and it was a shock to them. But all of this week, God has shown that deep and abiding presence and compassion. And they praise him. And today, they're in church with their church family, just excited to praise God for his wonderful compassion. And they have this vision in their life. May they never forget this compassionate week of the Lord in keeping them. May we never forget the compassion. Just stop right now. What has God done for you that has shown so much compassion? Maybe it's been some health issue he's dealt with for you and and walked with you through, financial. Maybe it's a relational thing that God has been with you and shown you great compassion. Spiritual, healthy vision, won't forget that. So remember, your Lord is compassionate. Also, Jesus never lacks power and sufficiency. He can deliver and sustain me. His disciples answered him in Matthew, uh, Mark uh, 8, 4. Uh, Where will anybody be able to find enough to satisfy these men with uh, bread here in a desolate place? So we know that they're sort of away from their homes. They're up on a hill. Uh, Jesus typically went up on a mountain or a grand hill. Uh, It's not like our Rockies. He didn't take them all up through the Rockies but a big hill, and he sat down, and he would teach down towards them where the sound would carry, just like an amphitheater would. And uh, he, he, he taught them with power, and he showed them his power by supplying all that they needed. Thousands of people fed. I think, again, the point here is how quickly do we as believers forget the wonderful, wonderful miracles of Jesus in our lives. Again, it goes very much with the last point. Uh, Jesus is there for you, and don't forget what he's done for you. Don't forget. I, I'm, I'm, I am more than ever now reminded to look. I'll tell you something that came to mind as I was reading this. Something really silly maybe to you, but it was so powerful to Kathy and I. We were married probably two, three years. And as a young couple, do you remember the days when you were first married? You had nothing, <laughs> you know? Every paycheck, you lived paycheck to paycheck, and we sure did. And it was one weekend we got our paycheck, and oh, so good. We, we were driving home and put the paycheck right on the dash, you know, in the, that middle part. And we just, you know, praising God, thanking for it. We got out of the car and we went into the house to take some stuff. And uh, I guess Kathy left her door open. I left mine as we're getting the stuff to take in the house. And I said, Kathy, did you get the check? She said, no, didn't get the check. 
I said, oh, okay, I'll go get the check. And I went back, and as I, I went in the car, I looked exactly where it should have been. It wasn't there. It wasn't. Just think how important this is. This was going to pay for the groceries we just bought, you know, to put the money back in the bank. And to take us through two weeks to get to the next paycheck, it was gone. This is what I'm recalling as I'm reading about God providing. As Kathy, being the very spiritual one at the moment, said, let's pray. We prayed. We prayed. And I said, okay, we can stop praying now. She prayed on. She just, she just poured out her heart to the Lord of how desperately we needed that provision and they said, she said, okay, let's look for it now. We started looking, and we went over, and, and Kathy said, I feel the Lord is leading me right over here. And it was right on the fence. It was windblown stuck to the fence. Pulled it off, shoved it in my pocket really quick, and praise God that that provision was not lost. And all the details that would have had to go to get another one cut. Maybe a small thing, but I'll never forget it. God provided. How has God provided for you? He has, hasn't he? He's provided in big ways. He's provided in maybe smaller ways, but he has provided. The great theologian D. Edmund Hebert once said, it is a common observation that believers frequently forget God's amazing dealings with them in the past when confronted with some new crisis. Let me read that again for you. It is common it's a common observation that believers frequently forget God's amazing dealings with them in the past when confronted with some new crisis. In other words, something new comes up and and we're going to go, oh, God, uh, look at what's going on in my life. Do something for us. Help me out. Provide. And nowhere in that, that petition to God is, God, I remember what you've done. You were so gracious and so you've provided so faithfully. And I'm going to trust you once again because you provided before. We believe that you will take care in this situation. And I think Mr. Hebert makes a good point. So Jesus, once again, providing for these 4,000, demonstrates the power and sufficiency of God. And, and he does this. He says to his men, how many loaves uh, uh, do you have? And they said, seven. Uh, where did they get the, this, these loaves? Well, they went through the crowd. They scrounged. You know, there might have been a few people with a, a, a loaf or a half a loaf or a piece of loaf left. They canvassed the multitude. And the multitude gave up their stash. <laughs> you know, they gave up what they had. And people trusted Jesus. They said, we have need, but we know that you have power to make this small offering so much more. I wonder how many people in this multitude that he fed were maybe at the other multitude where he fed. They saw his great power at work and they gave up their stash. 
And as I read through this, I just had this real sense, Alan, he's speaking to me, Alan, what are you willing to dedicate in your life for my use? Are you willing to dedicate all that you are and all that you have? Just like these dear people gave up all that they had? As Jesus went about teaching and healing, he created expectations in people. And, and these people were no different. They expected healings, you know, mighty miracles of seeing uh, even people raised from the dead. They knew that Jesus had done this. <clears throat> Yet, what expectation does Jesus have for me, for us? ask Jesus right now, what do you want from me, Lord? What do you really want from me? I know what I want from the Lord. I, I know what we, we have expectations from the Lord, don't we? We expect him to do what he promised to do, and, and so that's, that's a basic expectation. But let's turn it around. What does he expect from us Today, when we leave this place, this building, and go about our everyday lives, what does he expect from you? How many of those dear people had been following Jesus and now just simply took him for granted? You know, oh, he's going to do his miracles. <laughs> Look, he's, he's asking us to sit down and he's... I think I see he's got some bread in his hand and just a little pieces. He's going to feed us all again. I heard about the 5,000. Hey, we're getting in on this one. They had expectations. But what are Jesus' expectations for our lives? By the way, as we think about this 4,000, same with the 5,000, the number being fed was more than likely two to three times the number spoken here. We see in Mark, it says 4,000. In the Matthew account, it actually says 4,000, not including women and children. So literally, that could have been 10,000 plus people that Jesus fed with these few loaves and few fish. That's our Jesus. He's willing to do that I have to ask myself, Lord, am, am I willing to do all that you want for me? Am I, am I willing to give up whatever stash that I think I have for your use? So remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about spiritually healthy vision. We'll get into the next few verses that we didn't read very much, where really the question is, are you displaying the facade of spiritually healthy vision. That is, you're not seeing clearly yet. As you see Jesus finish up here, he sends the crowd away. Verse 10, immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Delmanutha. Uh, if you read the Matthew account, it's Magadan is the name that they go to. Same city, just Two different names being used for it. They go, he goes uh, to another area, the northwest shore of Galilee. Still, 
uh, an area of uh, mostly Gentile population. And guess who tags along with them? Those beloved Pharisees. They love to tag along with Jesus. And why? They, they want to give him the gears. They want to, they want to do, it's, it says here that they want to test him and they argue with him. They came along to test him. The character and the conduct of the Pharisees really is not supported in a, uh, from a, a, a place where they want to learn from him. They want to grow and to know him deeply, but it was from a place of an evil, critical spirit. How did they demonstrate that evil, critical spirit? One, they were argumentative. And it's not like an argument where they're saying, hey, let's dialogue about this. Let's have a little debate. We, want an, we, we have some really good questions for you that out of sincerity of our hearts, we, we'd like to know the truth. No, the word uh, argue has that negative, we're trying to entrap you connotation. And I, I, I love what John MacArthur, great Bible teacher in the States, says. He, he says, people who are spiritually blind are comfortable only with others who are also spiritually blind. The more evidence you give them, the deeper they go, they're condemned to terminal blindness. That's the situation with these religious elite, these spiritual um, leaders, supposed spiritual leaders, they were terminally blind. Not only were they argumentative, they sought and continually sought a, a, a special authenticating sign, as if they had not seen enough. The blind could see, the, the lame could walk, the dead were raised. All of these were signs that the Old Testament talked about. Isaiah 34, 35, we looked at last week. They didn't want that. They wanted something special for them. And that's really a flagrant demonstration of, spiritual, of their spiritual blindness. They wanted something of their own choosing. And their motivation, I said, as I said, is evil. To trap and expose Jesus, that's what it means to test him. That word test does not mean an objective test to discover the merit of something. It means an, to put an obstacle, a stumbling block, something that would discredit Jesus. And that's all they did. They went along the way trying to discredit Jesus. So you can understand why Jesus did the thing that he just did in verse 12. Remember when he was healing the, the mute and uh, the deaf man, and he looked up to heaven and he sighed. Oh, the sigh of Jesus. Remember we talked about the fact that he sighed more than likely because how, how, heart, how much of a heartache it must be to see Jesus uh, healing these people. And it all stemmed, their, their, their malformities, their problems all stem back from sin. Original sin. That where we started off, we started off perfect as human beings. We should have lived forever with God in that garden. And because we sinned, because of Adam's sin, Eve's sin, and our continued sin, our body is riddled with cancer, with dimmed eyesight and, and loss of hearing and old age and loss of hair. I should not, I should stop right there. 
seriously, Jesus sighed because he is aching for these dear people. He aches for us. But what does he say as he sighs deeply in his spirit? He says, why does this generation seek for a sign? When he uses that word generation, he's really talking about the nation of Israel and their their spiritually blind leaders who continually reject God's dealing with them. God had sent the Messiah. He's right in front of them, and all they want to do is argue with him to put tests to him rather than say, I'm going to just drop to the floor and, and worship the Messiah. And I would encourage us, that should be our posture every day, to seek to just worship Christ because he's already given us the sign. It says in Mark 8, truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Matthew 16, 4 says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of of Jonah. Do you know what the sign of Jonah refers to? It refers to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's the sign that they should have been looking towards. And that's the sign we look back to. We so see so clearly that the Messiah had come. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And in Christ alone are you saved. I pray that each one of you has seen and accepted the sign of Jonah. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as the only Messiah. The one and only, the true Son of God. Jesus said it before, he won't cast pearls before swine. And so all he does at this point is he left them, he got into the boat, and went to the other side. Enough of this. I'm out of here. I've got more important business. My father's got more important business for me to do. So what do we conclude out of these 12, 13 verses? What do we learn from the miracle of the feeding of 4,000 and the subsequent interaction with these leaders. One is, I ask you the question seriously. Do you fully understand who Jesus is? Do you really get who Jesus is? Not that, maybe Christian, not just that he's your savior. Do we get that he is even so much more than just our savior? He's our provider. He's our caretaker. He has compassion for the things that we're going through in this life. He loves us and has great compassion for us. He is our savior, and he's the one who walks us and oftentimes carries us through the difficulties of life. Have we completely and fully dedicated our entire life to Christ, or are we just partly in and not completely all in. Let me ask you, are you all in in your walk with Jesus? Can you this morning look at all that you have, all that you are, and say, Jesus, I, I'm pushing myself all in. You know, that it's, a, it's one of the best poker terms that I can use in the most wonderful, righteous way. That's where you have all your stack and you say, okay, I believe this is the best thing 
that, that I can do. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm sensing, I'm reading. Jesus wants me to put myself all in because he's going to take care of me. He's going to guide me through the challenges and he's going to make sure that this all in Alan Buttrin will bring him all glory. And as he was talking with the religious elite, the Pharisees, I asked myself one more question. What complaint might have Jesus with us this morning? Might have with you this morning? You know what his complaint with the Pharisees are is they're wearing this spiritual mask when they're saying, look at us, we look so good, we've got the answers, and it's all facade. Is there any mask that we're wearing? Jesus doesn't expect you to be any further than you should be with what he's taught you and where you are at right now. But that's not where you should stay. What he wants you to do is keep taking the mask off because we typically try to keep putting it back on. Take the mask off and say, this is who I am. I'm on a journey. I don't have all the answers. I'm in his word and learning every day. And Jesus, if you're doing that, will have no complaint with you. He'll be thrilled with you. He'll bless you. And he will make your way straight. And he'll give you light to see that path. So I encourage you this morning to contemplate how's your spiritual eyesight. And secondly, is there anything about your sight that's more of a facade than a reality? And if it's a facade, get rid of it. And say, Lord, clean up my eyesight. Take the spiritual cataracts off. Help me to see you for all of who you are. And I will give you all the glory. Father, at this point, we are just overwhelmed at the love and compassion and the goodness of Jesus. All that he has done in, the, in this story, which is a, an account of a real moment in the life of probably around 10,000 plus people. May we remember that just as much as he provided for them, as he had compassion upon them, as he would not let them faint on the way, he will do that for us and help us to have clear sight, not a facade, but truly clear, healthy, spiritual sight. And this we pray in Jesus' name.